Good morning, church. Well, I don't know about you, but I hate to waste. I hate to waste money. I hate to waste time. But above all else, I hate to waste food. And so you'll often find me taking the, my plates and, and uh, the, the scraps that my kids have left after they've eaten, and you'll, you'll see me just sort of scraping them into Tupperware that I might feed it to them again the next day. They're such poor kids. Or, or I'll just basically plan on the fact that they're not going to finish their meal, and that just becomes part of my own. Or, or my favorite is I take their leftovers, their scraps, and I recreate it the next day into something new and fun. And so I hate to waste. Just ask my wife, just ask my kids. This is who I am. Another thing is that uh, one of my favorite tools in the kitchen, I'm, I'm a pretty good cook, I love to cook, but my favorite tool is a scraping spatula. <laughs> because nobody gets more batter out of the bowl than I do. <laughs> nobody. Part of this is just how I grew up. We were one of those so-called clean-your-plate families where there's nothing left on the plate. Nothing. And so this is sort of how I was raised and what I got used to. Well, this morning, I want to consider the question, does God waste? Does God waste? Are God's promises and are his word ever a waste? I think of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11 says this. God says, the word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Okay, well, does God waste his good work in our lives? What if it's all pointless? What if it's all futile? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What about the experiences of our lives? Even the painful ones. Even the difficult ones, are they just purposeless? Are they just meaningless? What's the point? Well, this morning as we finish our SHAPE series, and again, over the past several weeks, we've been exploring ways that God has designed us, wired us, and equipped us and prepared us for ministry and service. And we wrap that up today looking at experiences. And I want to propose to us this morning that God never wastes a thing. That God never even wastes a hurt in your life. That God in his sovereign plan, in his wisdom, in his good purposes, he has redeeming and redemptive value in all things that we experience in our lives. Even the painful ones. These things grow us, they shape us, and most importantly for our purposes this morning, they equip us to minister to others in the ways that God has comforted us in our pain. So our key thought for this morning is that God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. Past challenges are an opportunity to minister to others going through similar situations, or if nothing else, they've just become part of our testimony of God's goodness and what he has done in our lives. People may debate us about the claims of Christ. People may debate us about the Bible even. But as my friend Norbert Johnson says, who's one of our alpha leaders, they cannot take away your story. They cannot take away your story. 
Now, as we think about experiences, certainly there's, there's experiences of a more positive kind, work experiences, professional experiences, educational experiences, ministry experiences, which all form our shape too. But as I'm thinking, many in the room will agree, it's our painful experiences, which are oftentimes the most transformative, oftentimes grow us in the most profound ways, and they become part of our testimony to encourage others. As we consider experiences this morning, this will conjure up hard things for some, painful things for some. And so as we consider that, I want to pray for God's grace be with us as we look at our text this morning. Lord, thank you, God, that you are at work in our lives. Lord, that you come alongside of us, even in our pain. God, would you comfort those here with the comfort of your Holy Spirit? That, God, you are the God of all comfort. Lord, help us to be open to the next step that you have for us of healing, of forgiveness, of growth. Lord, that we might even use what's been painful and hard as part of our shape to serve others. So, Lord, we welcome you now. We pray for your spirit among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, sometimes painful experiences are easy to figure out. The, the testimony of Scripture, the testimony of the Bible, is that we live in a world broken by sin. Sin, those choices that we make that contradict God's will and God's ways. And so as a result of this sin, death, and, and even the corruption of our own bodies and disease has become the reality. And so the, this leads to some of the pain that we experience, pain of disease, pain of sickness. Sometimes the pain that we experience is a result of the sin of others towards us. Sometimes our painful experiences are a result of our own sinful choices. Sometimes it's a combination of both. And sometimes there are just circumstances and experiences that we have that just seem to have no other purpose than God training us, God sharpening us, God equipping us in this world and in this life of faith. Our text for this morning from 2 Corinthians points to two simple realities for us, I believe, this morning as we consider our experiences. And the first is that God is our comfort in the difficult experiences of our lives. God is our comfort. This is who God is. But then secondly, and as we think about how God might propel us in our service and ministry to others, the second thing is that God invites us to minister to others out of our pain and from our experiences because God doesn't waste a hurt. God doesn't waste a hurt. So first, God is our comfort in painful experiences well, Paul's painful experiences, the Apostle Paul who authored this letter to the Corinthians, his painful experiences came precisely as a result of his calling and of his following of Jesus and pursuing his calling to take the gospel to the ends of the known world. Paul says in verse 8 of our text that he didn't want the church at Corinth to be ignorant and to be uninformed of his hardships. These were hardships that made him despair even of being alive, he says. Later in this letter, Paul refutes false apostles who had infiltrated the church and who were discrediting his name there, discrediting his apostleship. And in response, Paul gives something of a resume. 
something of a resume of his own pain, his own hardship. 2 Corinthians 11, 23-33, Paul says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day at sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. So Paul was hardcore. He had a hardcore journey. Some of the things we experience in our lives, which we feel like our hardships are soft compared to what we see here as Paul followed his calling following Jesus, bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. But even with all of these hardships in mind, even perhaps with the the scars on his body remaining for how he had been beaten and afflicted, Paul can still say, but praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For Paul, Paul recognized that sometimes God delivered him from troubles. At other times, God simply strengthened him in the face of hardship, in the face of persecution. And sometimes, like Paul, sometimes we experience pain. We experience persecution. We experience suffering precisely because of our obedience to Christ following him. I've seen family members and even spouses reject somebody's faith and distance themselves and pull away. I've seen people lose friendships, people lose acquaintances, people be called crazy for certain choices that they make out of obedience to Christ. In many parts of our world today, Christians face intimidation, loss of their businesses, loss of their standing in society because of their convictions. But this father is the father of all compassion and the God of comfort. This God of comfort here, this is the sense of somebody who comes alongside of us for encouragement, for exhortation, for counsel. This is the image here being used. Jesus in John chapter 15 refers to the Holy Spirit in the same way. In this text, Paul uses the Greek verb parakaleo. And in John 15 there, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the parakletos, the comforter, the helper, the advocate, the counselor who comes alongside. And so this morning, for those of us who live by faith, this is who God is for us. This is who God is to us. This is the God who heals our hearts from past hurts. This is the God who doesn't disappoint us when others may. And this is a God who is not absent from our pain, but present to us in it. And so this is the God of all comfort. But secondly, 
as we look at our past, as we look at our experiences and ask God, how can you propel me forward? How can I minister to others out of this? We see that God invites us to minister precisely out of our painful experiences. Again, Paul has already referred to this sense of being comforted that we may comfort others. And then he goes on in verses 5 through 7, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Paul knew that it was a both and in his life of faith. Paul knew in one sense that it was precisely his following Jesus, his obeying Jesus and the calling on his life that produced some of this hardship, some of this suffering, some of this rejection, and some of the same sufferings of Christ. But as importantly, Paul knew that his comfort was through Christ alone. And as he knew pastorally that as the Corinthian believers lived out their faith, that they would experience the same things that he did. And so there's a clear sense here, a clear picture here of of our lives as a conduit of the ways that we've been comforted by God. As a conduit, the the same experiences that we have, the comfort that we receive flows through us that we might minister to others. And so maybe there's experiences we have through which we can offer wisdom, through which we can offer encouragement, through which we can offer healing and hope and perspective to others. A few years ago, I was coming off of a, a difficult season in ministry It was one of those seasons that kind of just shakes your sense of calling. It was a season that produced in me doubt and confusion and disillusionment. And so I was very eager at the end of that time to find a new way forward, to find a new path, a new vocation. And so in those days, I got locked in on one thing. It was military chaplaincy. That was it. That was going to be the next step. That's where God was leading me. And so I began to just dive headfirst into learning all that I could, talking to former and current military chaplains, talking to military personnel, gearing myself up for this long journey of applying to be a military chaplain. And so like you do, I began talking to recruiters. And and I knew at the time that my next step was to do seminary. And so I enrolled in Seminary, I left that ministry job and we packed up our apartment and we moved to the seminary. And God even provided my wife with a full-time job there. And so we felt like God was paving the way for us. So there I was, I'd begun my studies and, and I'd begun this, what felt like this mountain to climb to get there, but it felt like a dream. It felt like this goal that God was sending me to pursue. So I began the paperwork, the medical paperwork, like everybody else does, and I applied first with the Navy. And in the paperwork, I disclosed my health history, some things I had received treatment for, and did all my stuff, figured I would just be upfront and honest. And off the paperwork went. And meanwhile, the recruiter's optimistic, my family and friends are excited, and they're behind me. 
And a few weeks later, I get a no. Medical disqualification. What? Medical disqualification, right? Like, what? these are minor issues. What's, what's going on here? What's this about? So, you know, meanwhile, the recruiter is, is propping me up, you know, to say that, okay, let's, let's, let's pursue it. Let's appeal. Let's get a waiver. Let's go after it. So I got doctor's notes, specialist notes, did all the work, and submitted a second time to the Navy. And a few anxious weeks later, it was a no, again, medical disqualification. So at this point, I'm like, God, what's, what's going on here? This was like the dream that propelled me forward. This was a thing that caused us to just switch our lives all around and move to this place to start this new journey. God, what's going on? You led us here. We're just following the signs, following you. So we regrouped for a little bit. I laid it down for a couple months, but then picked it back up and applied with the Air Force. And another tedious experience, getting all my stuff together, but a hopeful recruiter, family and friends behind me. And a few weeks later, I get a no. Medical disqualification. Okay, I've been through this before. This is getting a little old. This is, I'm, I'm getting worn out from this process. This is emotionally exhausting. But the recruiter is optimistic. Okay, let's, let's appeal. Let's go after a waiver. Let's do the thing. So I submit everything I need to do. A few weeks later, I get a call from the recruiter. Sorry, we've done everything we can. It's a no-go. So I'm like, put some stuff on some paperwork. Like, God, God, I felt like you were bigger than this, that you were leading me into this. What's going on here, God? This was the dream. This was the plan. What am I supposed to do? Well, it was obviously a difficult blow. This whole process had been lasted over a year long. It was emotionally exhausting. And so I just, okay, I just regroup with my family, continue my studies. But what followed in that season was God invited me to heal from the past. God invited me to be restored in my hope, my sense of calling. God invited me to have opportunities to serve with some great leaders in that season of time as painful as it was. And there was more twists and turns as we tried to figure out where God was leading us, but ultimately it led us here to Free Christian Church, which has been a joy. What's the point? What's the point of all this? Well, the point was that, I don't know about you, but I find that oftentimes in the church, in the community of faith, we we, we encourage each other that God is good, that he is for us, that he has our best in mind, that he works all things together for the good. And I had encouraged so many people with that theoretically. But now through that experience, I knew it experientially. That God did have a good plan. That he knew what was best. That he was wiser than I am. And that he was leading me step by step. I had to let go of something in that experience that I held so dear. This, this thing, this thing that I felt like was a dream I had to let go of. I had a death grip on and I had to give up and say, God, I'm yours. I trust you. I let this go. Lead me. And so now through that pain, through that experience, I have a greater conviction as I talk to others, as I pray for others, as I encourage others that God is good 
and that he is for you and with you and has a good plan, however difficult it may be at twists and turns. Well, we as a church, we have an amazing opportunity as a community of faith to minister to each other out of our pain, to encourage each other. Henry Nouwen was a Dutch priest and a prolific author. He wrote a bunch of books at the close of the last century. And in his classic book, The Wounded Healer, he says this, A Christian community is therefore a healing community, not because wounds are cured and pains are alleviated, but because wounds and pains become openings or occasions for a new vision. Mutual confession then becomes a mutual deepening of hope, and sharing weakness becomes a reminder to one and all of the coming strength. And so in this sense, we don't deliver each other from our pain. We don't necessarily alleviate the wounds, but in the midst of pain, we point others to a greater hope. We point others to a God who can heal and restore and redeem. And that is our opportunity as the church. Well, I shared my story, which is my story, but I recognize this morning that that sense of pain is a far cry from what many in the room may have experienced, traumas you've experienced, hardships, disappointments, failures that you've gone through in your life. Some of us have been through things that just grieve the heart of God, things done to us at times. Some of you have had life-shaking, faith-shaking experiences as you've sought to follow God and serve him. Others of you may be here and you're just exploring. You're just, you're just curious. You, maybe you were invited this morning. And maybe one of your questions is, what can God do with my pain? My failure, my choices. Maybe that looks like divorce or loss of a child or loss of a spouse or job loss or professional disappointment or addiction or health issues, whatever it may be. What can God do with that? As I said at the beginning, God is not absent from our issues. God is not absent from our pain. He does not keep it at an arm's distance. And how do we know that? Well, the testimony of Scripture and the story of the Bible is about a God of the universe who left, laid aside the glory of heaven and entered this world in Jesus, taking on humanity and all of its weakness, limitation, and experiencing the pain of this world. In this Jesus, he took on all the, the, the pain of this world. He experienced rejection and slander and loss and disappointments. And journeyed all the way to a cross where he died for our sins, where he died for our pain, where he died for the choices we've made. That our sins might no longer condemn us, but that we might be forgiven and free in him. And so this is who God is. Entering the pain of the world to redeem all things. And this we can be sure of. And so the coming of Jesus and now his ongoing ministry to us by his spirit is validation that he is with us even in the face of our painful experiences. And so, friends, this morning, as we think about our experiences, we may need to heal. We may need to grow. We may need to forgive. There might be an invitation this morning that we might leverage them in our service to others. But God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes those things. 
And he invites us to minister to others through the exact same pain that we've experienced ourselves, that we might be a conduit of his comfort to this world. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you that you redeem even the broken places. We thank you that there's an opportunity, even within our painful experiences, to grow, to heal, to be formed in you, and then to be a conduit of your love and your comfort to those around us. So God, give us courage for this. Lord, would you comfort us this week by your Holy Spirit, as you promise, knowing that you are with us, and then you have plans and purposes to use us in this world. We pray this in your name. Amen.